Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Rootless Living Podcast in episode number 30. My name is Damien Ross, and besides being the host of this podcast, I'm also the publisher of a digital nomad magazine called Rootless Living. If you haven't grabbed a free subscription to the Rootless Living magazine, head over to rootlessliving.com today and grab a free digital subscription. Did I mention it's free? Today I chat with Celeste Orr, half of the duo behind Togetherness Redefined, and in this episode we talk about making the pivot to full-time RV life, but also what happens when you try to pivot again and things don't go as planned. But before I say too much, let's get into the episode. Okay, with that, I want to welcome Celeste to the show. Celeste, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. No, I'm excited to have you on. I mean, you know what? I say that at the beginning of every podcast, and but it's true. Like, I really like the idea of sharing little different parts of the story. I think a lot of time, you know, people, when I explain to someone that I interview kind of full-time digital nomad RVers, that the lifestyle is kind of the same, but how we got here and what we've experienced since we've been in this lifestyle is usually really different. So that's what I'm excited about. It sounds like just from looking at kind of the form, it's you and your husband and you have two kids that you guys yeah. are full-timing yeah nice and then a cat named bacon which i really liked that's got to be tough if the cat ever gets outside you gotta walk around yelling bacon but <laughs> she loves to, to be outside actually yes and she and we do have to holler out bacon quite often <laughs> side note if you have a dog don't name him bear because when the dog gets lost in a campground and you have to run around the campground yelling bear it's not a good thing. <laughs> so let's go back. I know that you guys have been like full-time since about 2013, but there was also a, like an earlier beginning to kind of the digital nomad lifestyle. And that's somewhere in uh, 2007. Can we go back and talk about kind of what your life looked like and then what you guys did to make kind of a big pivot? Absolutely. So in 2006, um, 2005, we had our first baby and we were in our early 20s. And around 2006, we started to feel, um, I, I don't know how exactly to explain it, but we started to feel discontent and like we really just weren't thriving. So we were in a job um, at the time and we kept wondering like, is this all there is or could there be more for us and uh, so we just took a huge leap and my husband applied to Hillsong College in Sydney Australia and they accepted him so we found a way to get ourselves and our new baby over from Georgia in the US over to Sydney Australia and see how long we could make that work so we had um, just a wonderful time but it was very very difficult to live and work there as students i was a nanny and we ended up having our second child there unexpectedly and eventually ran out of funds and and came back to the u.s a year and a half later but that experience we call it the impetus to our wanderlust and our nomad lifestyle now I've never been to Australia. It's definitely on my bucket list for sure. Um, I think we all see it in a lot of the wonderless kind of Instagrams. It seems like an incredible place to visit and obviously live for that kind of time period. When you got back, yes. what were you guys doing in regards to work when you got back to the States? Yeah, so when we came back, it was 2008. And in the U.S., that was when the recession had started. So we live in a very rural part of Georgia is where we grew up. And so to come back home and be with family, 
it was rewarding and it was nice to be around people that we knew and loved again. But at the same time, every single job that we applied to wasn't a good fit. Like they didn't, they either didn't want to hire one of us or we just didn't want to do that line of work. So jobs were really hard to come by and we ended up calling on my sociology degree and I entered a job in social change at that time. And my husband stayed home with the kids because we still couldn't figure out the whole daycare to income that just still didn't feel right for us. And we really wanted to be willing to do something outside the box to, to really value togetherness with our family and, and making that work. So we were, I worked full time, but I did everything I could to get my employers to understand that I could work from home even better than I could sit in their office and work. So I think I annoyed them a lot, <laughs> but they eventually let me work from home one day a week and then two days a week. And then uh, I started asking for promotions and outside the box kind of thing. And I ended up working from home about half the time. So that was kind of an evolution over a couple of years there. Yeah, I'm still really surprised even now, obviously 2008 is decades when it comes to technology and where we are in 2020 that more employers aren't allowing kind of remote work, whether at home or if someone wants to rent like just a little rent a suite and work by themselves. The amount of work you get done not being in an office, and I talk about it on the show a lot, it, it's not comparable. There's so right. much wasted time in an office or in meetings that could have been an email or a quick little Zoom call. And to me, that's what's kind of funny in and around what we experienced with kind of people being sent home during COVID is I think a lot of employers were starting to realize that, that you get a better employee and you're not paying all this rent for an office. And then your employees actually have a life because you did touch on a good point that we've lost is it really is almost impossible nowadays for there to be a parent that stays home. And that's a real shame. You know, I know, I remember my parents switching off when they were very young and went to college and they, one went to college, one worked, and then they kind of flip-flopped back and forth. But yet I was always being watched by someone, you know what I mean? At home. And then they got their careers and then I was a complete latch kid kid <laughs> and it changed, but we've gotten away from that. So it was great that you guys were able to do that and then recognize that you guys definitely wanted more. What and when did you guys shift to say, okay, that's it. We want to go back to kind of traveling and exploring and experiencing things, but do it as a family. Yeah. So actually that's an interesting story. When we were in Australia, we had just a, a really amazing opportunity to meet other young adults from around the world. And we made friends from, uh, with people from, Hawaii, South Africa, Switzerland, and of course, Australia and various other countries. And we remain friends with them to this day. But I remember one of my friends in particular, she's from Hawaii, and we were having babies at the same time while we were there. So we bonded really quickly. And she said to me, how are you going to know that when you go back home, you don't just slip back into those same ruts that you left like how are you gonna be sure that you're thriving if that's why you came here now you're going back how are you not gonna get back into that and I was so glad she asked me that um, and so I don't know where it came from but out of nowhere I said to her you know what we like to operate on a five-year uh, season type of thing so we 
do something, we give it a really good go. If it seems to be working, we're going to reassess five years later. And that is what we ended up doing. We really tried to make a sort of traditional lifestyle work for us. Um, either one of us was working and the other one was at home. We switched off even, you know, every other year or something. We moved to three or four different communities in those five years in Georgia, really trying to fit into this box that we had in our mind about what it is to be a young professional, a young parent, and also, you know, growing into our ourselves as a family. And when we looked at each other after five years, we knew it wasn't working. We were not thriving for whatever reason. We said, this works for a lot of people it's not working for us. We've got to do something different. So we started hearing rumblings. So this year was around 2012, 2013. We started hearing some rumblings online or from friends that we had made about this idea called full-time travel. And I was not remotely employed at the time. I had a regional job, but I was working from home about three days a week. And I knew I wanted to work from home all the time and my husband did too so I bought a little book I don't remember the title but it was by a guy named Colin Wright and it was about how to become a full-time traveler and he was single so a lot of that stuff did not apply for us but what it did was it let us know that it was possible and then we started applying to jobs that were just random like we applied to one in Alaska in Montana all these places we had never been to before and they didn't feel exactly right but we knew we were on to something and then when we started finding families like the Malamish family and a couple of other people who had been traveling online I mean traveling full-time already we knew that we could do that so we started making that our goal yeah it is funny that once you see and I always use like the mile, you know, when they broke the six minute mile, then it like everyone broke it that year once someone did it. And then the five and the four, it's one of those things that once you see other people doing it, you can really say to yourself, Hey, we can do this. They're doing it. But for some reason, if you're not seeing other people doing it, it makes it seem like it's almost impossible. What did you guys end up doing? Where did you guys, did you guys end up buying an RV? Did you just uh, travel into a town and then set up in a, in a home and just be there temporarily? What was your kind of what were you guys doing? Yeah, so actually we had just moved into another rental house. We were moving to all these different communities and we still had a, a large house that we had purchased that we were renting out to someone at the time. Whenever we got a call um, that our house had a contract on it and was going to sell in 30 days, we bought an RV. And so we went from, you know, one week, we had basically no plans. We were searching online ads for jobs in the Florida Keys because we wanted to move there next and rent a house, which now we know is completely unrealistic for our budget. <laughs> but um, we, we went from that to three weeks later, we were in Virginia picking up our first ever RV and deciding to live in a camper full-time and travel full-time. Nice. Where'd you guys end up once you bought the RV was your first kind of stay? Yeah, so I, I still had a regional job. So we chose a state park on the coast of Georgia that was within my region so that I could continue to work 
and find a way to become fully remote while my husband did uh, camp hosting for them. So basically he paid for our site with his work and then I kept my job and tried to figure out a transition point there. Gotcha. When did that happen? When did you get where you're fully remote, you're free to go? When, when did that happen for you guys? Yeah, so the very next year, I think it was uh, about six or nine months later, I realized that the job I was in was not going to ever be able to fully be remote. So we took sort of a leap, <laughs> and some would say it was unwise, because we really didn't, we couldn't make it work on paper. But I let my employer know, I am more than willing to work for you, but I can't be a salaried employee for you anymore because I need to travel with my family. I need to be home more than three days a week. I want to give you all the work that you know I can produce. At, by this time, I had been working within their network uh, for five or six years. And so they were familiar with my work. They were really happy with what I could do, but they didn't have anyone who was fully remote. They didn't have anyone who they never saw, you know, um, but I let them know that that's what I needed personally. And they gave me a trial contract. So at that point we had to find some supplemental income and we started looking for work camping jobs. I do find it funny that you use the word travel as a family, because I know even when I was working for someone, they saw the lifestyle as a vacation, which was really odd to me. I mean, it's not odd in the sense that I get that people vacation in an RV, but traveling full-time isn't vacationing full-time. And I think that's kind of the, the mind trick that we have to focus on with employers if you're still working for someone, especially, I mean, for the people that are working, you know, five days a week at home, and now they're switching to full-time RV life. Whether the, the RV is moving or not is still very strange to the employer, which is really weird. Like if they're doing their job, what do you care if they're, you know, today they're in Alabama and tomorrow they're in Florida? What do you care if they moved on the weekend? You know what I mean? It's so bizarre and odd to me still, but I still think there's that, that mind trick that people look at, you know, full-time RVing as somehow vacationing or what you do when you're retired. So we have a long way to go for kind of employers to see it as a great opportunity to find people to hire. Yeah, absolutely. And for my employer in particular, I mean, still, you know, we're almost seven years into traveling full time and I've been working for them that entire time. And I still find myself being uncomfortable when I do go into the office for the random meeting because people still don't know how to talk about my personal life. It's almost like this big secret and recently I, I decided that I wasn't okay with it being a secret anymore. And I wasn't trying to hide what worked for my family because I started hearing from so many other parents in particular who were saying, you know, we're not thriving. What do we do? And how did you do what you do? You know, so I decided to stop writing in my closet and start writing in a more public way to really help those families and, um, you know, some single people as well to understand our story so that it wasn't this big mystery, you know, and it wasn't a secret that we were trying to keep, but it's definitely been a paradigm shift for my particular employer and they still don't quite know what to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> I bet I had to keep it kind of a secret when I took a job in 2016, I had told them that I want to move to Texas. I was living in California and that was the truth. Um, I don't know when the idea of going full-time in an RV hit, 
but the idea was just to travel for a year and see where I wanted to live outside of California. But I did kind of keep it secret. And then at some point they kind of figured, and then I just exploded with it and just was like, okay, this is what I'm doing. And I live in an RV. I'm just traveling a little, but it'll end up being Texas. It's still Texas. If I ever end up buying land or a home base, it'll definitely be Texas, but I understand where you're coming from. And it does feel really awkward and it just puts a weird kind of damper on kind of the coworker experience when they don't know exactly how you're living. And then it also does probably help them. There's probably people that you've been able to talk to and help them kind of get out of the, the stuck mindset. And it's not that it's for everyone. I always talk about that, that, you know, there are people that want to work at the same job for 30 years and retire and live in the same house, you know, same town, uh, never get on a plane. And that happens for a lot of people and they find that very comfortable. Well, I want those people to live the life they're most comfortable with, but there is a different experience. And luckily you got to experience it kind of a young age, the travel, because I think that probably really helped you in wanting to do this kind of lifestyle is if you can experience it at a young age, you really make it a priority, which is good. And even with kids, everyone comes up with all the different excuses. And I did too. We have kids, we can't do this. We can't travel with a baby. You know, we can't, you know, it's just, you know, because of our job, we can't do it. And it looks like you just kept trying to figure out ways to make it happen, which is awesome. And I do see here that you've been able to um, live in all 49 states. Well, I, you put travel, I want to make sure, but I always consider living in because of the lifestyle, but all 49 states, which is pretty incredible. Let's talk about, you did make another pivot though. And let's talk about where you guys kind of wanted to go. It sounded like you guys wanted to ground wheels for a little while and try something new. Yeah, absolutely. So our experience full-time traveling has been a bit different from a lot of our friends that we've made in that we knew from pretty early on that moving every two weeks was not going to work for us or even every month was really not going to work for us. So in 2015, we applied for a work camping position at a campground in Maine and we had never traveled um, further north in our RV than Virginia. So it was going to be a stretch for us. And we took the position, we got up to Maine and whenever we drove into the campground, it felt different for us. It felt like we had found our home base, which made no sense. We weren't buying land or anything like that, but we worked in that campground for five and a half months that summer. And every single summer since, with the exception of one, we've come back to the very same campground. So the coast of Maine, has become our home base in that we know we love it here like it's our rest from the rest of the year when we try, try to travel more quickly and so that just felt right for us and like I said it's not the same for a lot of full-time travelers in that you know we don't fit are you full-time traveling or are you half-time traveling do you just live in a camper or are you really traveling you know so we had to get okay with not using labels or you know being okay even outside of those labels but a few years into that um i guess lifestyle in that that was our season and that we that was our choice that we were choosing to be here in maine every summer we started to realize that even when we traveled out west, we loved it, we loved the beauty of it, but we really missed the ocean. And we just recognized, hey, we're ocean people. 
we just love the coast. We love the salty air. We need to see that water every single day. So in about 2016, we decided that our next pivot was going to be to live on a sailboat full time. And we'd never even sailed on a sailboat at that point, uh, other than the random, you know, going out on a tour or whatever. But we knew we loved it. We had been around boats our, our whole life uh, growing up together. So we, we were going to buy a boat in 2016. And then we realized how expensive it was to buy a boat. And I think it was that same year that actually uh, Gone with the Winds, which they were in an RV. And I think it was that year or around there that they transitioned into a boat. And we started really just eating up everything they put out on the topic. And they put out their budget and all of that. And it was way above what we thought it would cost. So we looked at our finances and looked at our job situations and said, okay, that's not going to work. We are not willing to really get rid of our Airstream. We really want to try to do both. So we kind of put that dream on the back burner, just kept traveling in our Airstream. And then last summer, the summer of 2019, we found a way to make it happen. And we bought a catamaran, a, a 38 foot Lagoon 380 S2. And we moved on to the catamaran in October of 2019. Now, I don't know a lot about boats, but I have talked to uh, Chris and Cherie of Technomadia and they you know, schooled me a little that, you know, there's boats are made for all different types of kind of sea vessel, what you're going to do. And they have basically what's called a bay liner. So they just stay close to the bay, which makes sense. Was this like a, like a gone with the winds where it was like, you can go out deep sea and go wherever you kind of want to, or is it something you just stay kind of right near the coast? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So we, we bought a boat that we felt was, based on our research, um, was small enough that we could stay in the Caribbean and, and island hop for several years um, and be happy with that. So spend every winter in the Caribbean and then every summer back in our Airstream in Maine. Um, but it was borderline, you know, deep water. So we have this goal and we still have it to this day that we want to do international travel with our kids before they go to college so we want to go to the mediterranean with them we want to get back to australia and um, do new zealand we we have a couple other goals so we wanted a boat that could do that in theory if you know, if things went well for these next three to five years, and that ended up being our goal. So it could do both, but we weren't sure that we would feel comfortable doing all of it. Gotcha. Now, do you guys still have the boat? You guys still doing it? Where are you guys at with it today? Well, no, we don't have the boat. Um, as the story goes, we had been living on the boat for about two or three weeks when my husband started having some health issues and he went to the doctor and we found out that he had sort of a more serious issue than we thought. So he ended up having surgery just a couple of weeks after we moved onto the boat and that was quite the surprise. So as things happen, he's fine. Thankfully, he's doing great and, and fully recovered almost at this point. But living on a boat is quite taxing physically. And so as he was recovering from surgery and dealing with, you know, 
the emotional things that come along with having unexpected surgery and trying to take care of your family. He kept trying to work on this boat, you know, and we were paying for a marina at the time before we could get out on our own. So he was learning to sail, teaching us to sail. We were learning things about a boat and he was trying to fix it up because boats always need fixing every single day, (laughs) even more than an RV. And he just couldn't catch up physically, you know, so we had to make the decision. Do we keep trying to push this, trying to make it work? um, Or should we just go ahead and sell it and then get back into our Airstream and, and see what's next for us? So we made the decision to sell it and we ended up living on it for four months and we sold it actually the sale closed just three weeks before the whole covid thing hit in america so we feel like you know if we hadn't have sold it right then that maybe we would still be sitting on it right now but not able to enjoy it so we're thankful we made the change yeah you really did kind of under the wire for sure there the idea of um and I know you touched on it a little, and I think it really is, it's different for everyone. I do hate that we get into, um, and I, I'll, I'll say I was even guilty of this when someone would say they're a full-time RVer, but they never move. I mean, they've just been in the same spot, you know, four or five years. I don't really care what people call themselves, but I do love the idea of when you find a place that just feels like home, spending, you know, a large portion of time there, I totally get and relate to that. And I can see how Maine could be that for you guys. And I can also see how you wanting to get out of there during the winters for sure too. There are some states in our country that are just beautiful, maybe 180 days and less out of the year. And then they're just, it's havoc. But I think, you know, I mean, I I saw someone with, uh, you know, the little sticker maps around the side of an RV and all he had was Texas. And we happened to be in Texas and I made the joke, oh, you've been full-time in five years. I could tell by your map. And he was like, no, 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 I've only, but I've only been doing it a month. And I'm like, I know, I'm just saying Texas is big and people can spend a, you know, a long time just exploring Texas and still be a full-timer. I do like asking people if they're full-timers, part-timers, some-timers. Um, but when you live in the rig full-time, you're definitely a full-timer, even if it's stationary for a while for work or just because you really love the area. There's no harm or foul in that. And we do, we are in a weird niche that does argue about the term sometimes, which is funny, but as long as you're happy and your family's happy, who really cares about what the the tagline is in a way. Um, So Maine for the summers, and then it sounds like it's pretty wide open for the traveling during the winters, which is really great. And uh, how's the transition been back, getting back into an RV? And well, actually, let's talk a little bit about, you know, trying something and then not working out and then going a different direction. I know a lot of people really beat themselves up when that happens. Like they, they, they will probably say that they're a failure or maybe they, you know, they lost a lot of money trying to pivot to something that just didn't work for them. And, you know, I want to talk about those a little. How are those emotions for you and your family, you know, really wanting to do something and then it just not working out and then switching back? How did you guys deal with that? Yeah, well, if you ever feel yourself getting too boastful or, you know, feeling like, oh, I've got this whole life thing figured out, 
please try a big risky pivot with your family and uh, <laughs> then try one that won't work out because it is humbling. And I won't say that we ever felt like we had it all figured out. We, we certainly didn't, but we did feel pretty confident in our choice. Uh, we had, uh, we have a lot of people, thankfully, who love us, who support us back home in our hometown and in a lot of places that we visited and we had a lot of concerned citizens come to us when we bought this boat and said, you know, what if it doesn't work out? What if you don't like sailing? What if you all get super seasick? What if you cannot physically sail from the Florida Keys up to Maine in the amount of time that you had allotted? And we, we really just smiled and, you know, took it in stride. And we said, you know what? that's absolutely a possibility, but we really don't think that's going to happen. Like we love the ocean so much that is impossible. We didn't really think about health issues, which, you know, I, I know we can't live our lives being fearful of things and I don't think we should. Honestly, it was very humbling for us, you know, especially because there were some people who sort of made fun of us, you know, when we chose to do that, they were like, okay, we know they're crazy gypsy kind of folks. We don't understand what they do or how they get their money, but now they're going to live on a boat, you know? And we had people saying to our face, like almost making fun of us, you know, it, it almost got discouraging when we visited home during the transition. So going back and people knew that it did not work out. It was really humbling. But at the end of the day, you know, my husband and I talked about it a lot. We said, we really don't care if people make fun of us or, you know, what they might say. What we care about is, would we do it again? Like, was it a valuable experience? Did we learn anything? And what did we learn? And we say all the time, even now, you know, it was extremely difficult, but we would do it again because it was one of those dreams. We knew we just had to try it. Like we really didn't know if it would work out or not, but we had to give it a go. And our kids got to see us give something a go, experience failure, and then bounce back and say, hey, that's okay, because we know we love this part of our lifestyle. You know, we've made some big sacrifices in our life to be together more, to have a family life where all four of us are thriving. And when we pivoted to something that really did not work at all, we were able to pivot again and find something that, that we love, we know we love. So it was difficult. Um, you know, we certainly had our moments of what the heck did we just do and how much money did we waste, you know, but, but we, we were thankfully able to step back now that we have been traveling so long and we were able to say, okay, look at the amount of money we lost. If we had chartered a boat in the Florida Keys for that amount of time, would we have spent that amount of money or did we spend more than that? And then what kind of experiences did we have? You know, what did we get to see? What did we get to do with our family? Was it worth it? And at the end of the day, we said it was worth it. So even if no one ever understands that except for us, uh, it's going to be in our family memory book, you know, as one of those things, that time we moved on a boat. <laughs>
Yeah, I think people really like to project their fears on other people. I think anytime that you're not living what maybe people still consider the American dream today for whatever reason, they find that really difficult. And I remember someone once telling me, do you know how to keep a crab in a bucket? You put another crab in there. And then what happens is when one tries to leave the bucket, the other crab will pull it back in and vice versa. You know, But if you have one crab in the bucket, the crab can get out on its own and go. And that's what it takes sometimes. It does take one kind of breaking free for other people to see it, but people will still really project their fears. And uh, it's unfortunate, but I'm glad you guys pushed through that and just hearing that kind of stuff. And you know, ultimately it's your family, it's your money. You know what I mean? Like, that's what's funny too, is people want to talk about that. And it's like, for you guys, you guys decide whether something was a success or a failure in your life. Nobody else can, because people try to. People can look at, you know, I mean, look at SNL, what, 10 years ago. If you lived in a van down by the river, you were a loser. You know, and that's literally people's life goals now. You know, like how much it's changed. I've made that joke way too many times on this podcast. For those of you that regularly listen, I apologize. I need to work on some new material. I am glad you guys are able to push through. And I do appreciate you sharing it because I think a lot of times, you know, that's the, the fear is if we're not successful in this, what will our family and friends think? And it really stops a lot of people from taking, I'll say risk, taking a risk to find kind of where their happy place could be. But people do it all the time in more traditional senses. They'll move into a town and really quick, they sign a one-year lease and they move in, they realize it's not for them. And it's basically the same thing. You guys just happen to do it on a boat. And uh, so it amplifies it a little. Well, I mean, this was really good. I mean, I definitely wanted to talk about that and finding your kind of place. I know recently I had someone on the, the show um, that talked about, you know, when you're getting into a rig, put yourself in a position that if you need to change your mind on the type of rig or how you're traveling, the size of it or whatever, that you're in a position that you can do that because you just never know. When I talk to people that have done it for a long time, they have shifted through numerous different types of rigs to try to figure out their sweet spot, which is, again, really the same when you talk to other people. We used to live in an apartment, then we got a big house, then the kids moved out, we got a smaller condo. It, it happens in everyday life as well. And I just think that's really good advice. But I do really appreciate you guys taking the risk and, uh, and talking about it. I think it's really kind of good. So currently uh, back in, a, in an Airstream and you're currently in Maine right now. We are, yeah. We uh, thankfully we were able to get back from, you know, we were we were caught in a transition from the boat to the airstream because we had left our airstream here in Maine for the winter. So when we moved out of the boat in February, we really couldn't move back into our airstream in Maine because it wasn't thought out yet. Oh, okay. So. We found a rental in Asheville, North Carolina, and we were there when the quarantines and the pandemic all started. So we were really kind of trapped there for two months, uh, unsure when we would get be able to get back to our Airstream. But we did at the very beginning of May, moved back up, and my husband has been able to resume his summer job, even though we don't have any campers yet. So we're still waiting for you know, the camping season to come and it's going to look different. I, you know, we're closed longer than we ever have been at the start of a season, but we're here and we're enjoying this place that has become our summer home. And we have no idea what we're going to do in the winter. <laughs> so I recently wrote on my website about camping after COVID 
because the restrictions are different. Even the soaps that we have to put in the campground um, bathrooms are different than what we've had previously. And so I talked to a couple of nurses and got their recommendations for how to keep your family safe if you're going to campgrounds after COVID um, as, you know, assuming that everything opens back up. But for us, we always have to plan, you know, a few months out. So while we're enjoying our summer here already, we're thinking about the fall and the winter and we have no idea where to take our Airstream, you know, or where we want to live during that time and, and what things might be like. So stay tuned, right? <laughs> Definitely. And for context, I'm recording this on May 30th. I think this will come out later in June. So if you're listening to this and hearing the campgrounds are not open in Maine, uh, definitely check with kind of the local campgrounds in Maine. Don't take an, an evergreen podcast that you might be listening to a year from now and be like, what? They're still not open? So just right. know that. Um, and which I think has actually been, you know, great advice to this whole thing is, you know, I, I don't know why we as, you know, a generation don't realize we can pick up a phone and call and really figure something out directly from, you know, the camp ground employees to even their websites. It's funny that I see these questions being asked in Facebook. I see them being asked on Twitter. And it's like, my opinion of Maine is open or not, isn't going to help anyone, even if I'm in Maine, you know, because I could have my own, you know, personally owned RV park with my own different rules. And it might be a lot different than a state park or, or a privately owned park. So if you're doing any traveling in the foreseeable future, I think it's really important to as you're heading to your reservation, call, double check, make sure, because things are always constantly changing for sure. So usually what I like to do kind of at the end of the show is do a high-low. And I think we've mentioned some, so I'm going to try to have you dig a little deeper into some different lows and highs. We'll start with the low. It's something I used to do with my kids just to remind people that, or at least the kids at the table, that we're all dealing with different stuff. And at the time, they'd be anywhere from two years old to 12 years old, and there was four of them. And it was just a really kind of interesting concept, and I brought it to the show. So in the lifestyle, you know, let's say at least since like 2013, as you've been living in an RV, what's been a low that, you know, that you just want to talk about and share so people understand and, and not a flat tire or a broken leaf spring. I think those come up a lot, but what's something in the lifestyle that maybe something wouldn't expect as a low? Yeah, you did touch on it a little earlier, which I hadn't mentioned, but one of our our lowest lows actually happened six months after we moved into the RV. And what happened was that we had bought a 43 foot fifth wheel and an F-350 truck to haul it with. And we thought, you know, just go as big as you possibly can because we had two kids. My husband is 6'3", and he wanted to be able to stand up in his home, you know, in all the spots. And we we knew that our kids were going to grow to be about six foot tall, you know, or, or taller. So we were like, get the big fifth wheel and the big truck. And pretty soon thereafter, our truck started having problems. It just, I don't know if it was a lemon or, or what happened, but it would cut off as we were going down the road, hauling our house, it would just cut off, which is scary when you have that big um, rig behind you. So we at that point six months in we were really frustrated and we didn't know financially if we could afford to do anything else and we also didn't know you know emotionally we knew we wanted to travel and actually get out of the state of georgia but 
that rig we weren't sure was right for us because it was large it was very nice but we already had our eye on new england and we from our research knew that that rig wasn't going to fit everywhere we wanted to go in new england so literally i was at my my lowest and i said to my husband please i don't care what you get just take this stuff somewhere and come back with something different (laughs) (laughs) so literally he picked out an Airstream. I didn't even look in it. I'd never gone into an Airstream before in my life. And he picked out an F-150 that would haul it. And we drove up to Knoxville. And in the span of two days, we had a new rig and a new truck. Um, But that was pretty iffy for us. I think that was really our lowest low. We really didn't know if we would end up bankrupt with nothing to live in or be able to trade those things out and get something that would work for us. So thankfully the second thing happened. <laughs> yeah. And I think just as a side note, if you're new to the game and, you know, I went through this too, cause I, I'd never owned a really large diesel truck. I'd never pulled anything really in, in regards to like a, a home. And uh, it was really scary trying to figure it out. And I think I made a lot of mistakes in the process of figuring out, I ended up with the right kind of setup and we bought something used and it's been working great, but you can always, just in case you're listening, you can throw your VIN number into any of the, kind of dealership or manufacturers websites and it'll really tell you what you're capable of and not to say that that wasn't the issue I mean there are things you can't see coming but again these are the questions I see in these groups that I'm just like this don't ask us in a group because you'll get you know one you'll just get a bunch of hate from people that hate Fords or people that'll just tell you to buy Dodge because they love Dodges and it just gets this whole weird thing go again go to the manufacturer's mouth and kind of figure it out. You are right about the height. I'm 6'6", so Airstreams are kind of out for me as much as I love them and just think they're amazing unless I get a custom where they they literally go around and chop it and add six inches to it. So I was, fifth wheel was really my only option, you know, within my budget. And I think that's something interesting that a lot of people don't realize that the lifestyle is interesting when you're above average height. You know, I think Mm -hmm. anyone under six foot, it's pretty easy to get into any rig, anything over 6'3" you start to, you know, worry about it and have to look around and figure it out. And I've had my son in the rig and he's six, eight, and uh, it's a different experience for him for sure than anyone else. So you never know, the kids could end up a lot taller than dad. I have one that's taller and one that's about an inch shorter in regards to the boys. Both the girls are a lot shorter than I am. They took after their mom. Well, what's a, what's a high? And this is the one I think, you know, people, they struggle with because that's, what's really great about this lifestyle is there's a lot of highs, but if you can pinpoint kind of just a, I can't believe this is our life kind of moment. What does that look like? I would say it is hard to choose because, and there's this risk that we're always chasing the next high. So, you know, I think there's a part of the full-time traveler lifestyle when you've seen the Grand Canyon and, you know, Zion National Park and Glacier, and you've seen these tremendously beautiful things but all you can think about is the photo you're taking not the actual experience and so always trying to help ourselves live in the moment and actually enjoy what we're doing I think the highest highs for us have been when we're able to go hiking as a family and see a big beautiful mountain or you know the ocean in a different way Um, I think what happened for us is we had never been out west for any length of time at all and so being able to live on the coast of Oregon for a month in an RV park there and hiking in the in the rainforest there and being able to look out over the ocean and and think 
this is gorgeous, you know, and then driving all across the United States to be in Maine just a few months later, hiking up a tall mountain and looking out over that ocean and being able to say, this is beautiful too. Like those are our high moments. And we don't talk about them enough, I don't think, as a family, but that, that's where I know for myself that I feel most alive and most thankful to be able to have this lifestyle. Yeah, I always wonder, you know, with full-timers, especially when families, like, I have these pivotal moments where I remember driving from Seattle to California with my dad when I was like three or four years old in a U-Haul. I remember a family boat trip. I remember us going to Mexico. I also really remember my parents and my grandparents going to Hawaii and I didn't get to go. So I remember that one a lot. But it's like, because they're so different, it becomes really ingrained in your mind. And I wonder in regards to a family that's full timing, if it'll just all blend or if there's still going to be those moments for the kids that really pop out because they're just experiencing things daily that maybe most families experience once every five years. You know what I mean? So it doesn't have that kind of like shock value to it, but there's still some of these views. I mean, right now when you were talking about, you know, being in Maine, I, I think it's the, is it the bumblebee hike? Is that a beehive hike? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Beehive. Yeah. And just being at the top of that and looking all the way around was pretty incredible, you know, and it's a, it's an interesting hike for sure. And so I can see that and still remember that as you were mentioning that. Um, but it's still it's such a different lifestyle. And I think the, the kids are just going to look back and be stoked that they got to experience all this. I think so too. And you know, what's funny is that when I ask them what they remember most, it's mostly the people that we've met, you know, and like the friends that we've made. And that's another big high for us is all of the people that we've been able to meet these past seven years on the road, whether it be on Instagram or, you know, our email group or whatever medium we meet them from, we have, we really remember people that we've only seen once, you know, that we camped right beside in the Mojave Desert or whatever. Um, so that is something really unique about being a full-timer is all the people that you meet and you immediately have something in common. And for us, that's what keeps us traveling even now because, you know, we owned a house in a subdivision for a couple years. We lived there and we barely met one neighbor, but we go to a campground and we just sit in a chair right outside of our camper and we immediately are talking to five or six different people, you know, and some of them we stay connected to for years and years. So that's, that seems to be the kids, what they remember about different places. And it's, it's definitely in my heart too. No, I agree. I, I make a kind of a joke that I love RVers in real life. Not a huge fan of them on Facebook <laughs> sometimes in these groups, but the people that you meet and you keep the connection through social is really great. If you're in a, if you're in a group and you're thinking about this lifestyle and you just see a lot of like arguments and fights, trust me, that doesn't happen in real life in the campgrounds. Everyone is so, I always make the joke. If you want to meet people, pull a tire off your rig. People will come out. And, and to your point, you know, if I went outside with a ladder to clean my gutters, no one's coming out at my house to help me and talk to me. <laughs> They're trying to stay away because you might put them to work. So <laughs> now what I like to do here at the end, and I'll link everything down below, but just to let people know where they can find you if they want to ask any kind of questions about traveling with a family, traveling in Australia to, you know, what you guys did for researching for a boat and, you know, maybe even how to find campground kind of jobs in Maine, all that kind of stuff. It sounds like there's a lot here that if people have questions, where would they go? Where would they find you guys? Yeah, absolutely. So we have two places that we like to talk to people. Um, 
the very best place to get the most reliable response is at togethernessredefined.com. And we share a lot of different things there. And, you know, the biggest way we've been able to connect with people there is what we call togetherness tips. Every Friday, we send togetherness tips for the families in our email group. And basically, that's because all of this stuff, you know, starting when we first got married and then when we moved to Australia and back to, you know, all of that stuff has been about chasing togetherness for us, really finding a lifestyle that we could really be together uh, all day, every day, or when we need a break from each other too, but chasing that togetherness and that deep connection with my husband and myself as a couple and then with our kids. So um, that's what we talk about there. And then we have another website called wanderingnation.com. And that's where we share the travel stuff, you know, where we've been, what our rig is like, and the whole boat ordeal you can find um, in, on that website. Awesome. Well, I hope people will reach out to you. Celeste, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and telling your story. I know there's a lot of people that will have a lot of similarities and, you know, and look at it and say, okay, you know what, just like as you did, when you saw people and read about people that were doing it full time, they will as well. So thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure and, and so much fun to chat with you. Thanks. Well, another fun episode, and hopefully this helped anyone thinking about pivoting to a new way of living. And again, if things go wrong or it's not what you thought it would be, there's no harm in pivoting right back to the life you have. Do not let fear stop you. If you want to learn more about Togetherness Redefined, head over to their website, www.togethernessredefined.com, and you'll find a bunch of ways to connect with Celeste, and she has a lot of resources for you and your family. Now, before you hit stop, please take a second and give this podcast a review or a thumbs up, depending on the player that you're listening to. And if you could share it with your friends and family, it's a huge help in getting the word out about the podcast, but then also about the magazine. And like always, if you know someone that would make a good guest, or that guest might even be you, please send us an email at podcast at rootlessliving.com, and let's see if we can tell your story. Until next week, stay rootless.